Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we are continuing our series on apostasy. This time we're going to deal with some of those scary passages. And they are scary. Yes. Indeed. So, uh, the, the, the topic of apostasy is a very so- sobering one. Um, and it's a good time for us to be dealing with this because in our systematic theology episodes, if you're not listening to those, we're actually also talking about the doctrine of sin and salvation. So they go hand in glove. Um, It's not a pleasant one, but we would argue it's a very necessary subject. Uh, So we would ask you uh, to take a moment to perhaps write us a short note on this. uh, And if it's been of help, and if so, in what way? Uh, or what is still a point of struggle or a question that you have? In other words, don't assume someone else will do it because, frankly, it doesn't happen. And we enjoy those notes when people do send us something because we're talking to two microphones. <laughs> and we literally can't see you. We don't know um, if it's helping you. But a, a quick little few sentence a note via Facebook or whatever, we would love it. So what we're going to do today, though, is we're going to get into some very key Bible passages over the next couple episodes uh, that have been the source of much angst and worry for so many Christians. Uh, they certainly were for me uh, at, at one point. Uh, these are passages that are found in the book of Hebrews. Uh, they can be very scary to read, and frankly, if you're honest with yourself, likely they will be passages that make you stop and think. Yeah. So, background though to this book, the book of Hebrews is critical to understanding these passages, and so we're going to spend some time, yeah. a little bit of time, just giving. Well, it's because fact. we do it the wrong way, right? We read the the scary verse, right, and we're like freaking, and but we don't know the context, so yeah. Always got to deal with the context, yeah. and and because those passages are passages are there as a tool for us to help us, sure, uh, in our walk. So, rightly understanding them in their context will help us rightly apply those. Then, so the Book of Hebrews it's it's a unique book, uh, if you know it, and it it leans heavily upon the Old Testament. Uh, it assumes actually that you understand the entire. Levitical system of things like priesthood and the temple and sacrifice. Which is where most people right there are already. (laughs) Yeah, I've done it once in my Bible reading plan. Yeah, and that was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) I never repeated that mistake. And it was just read to me. I didn't actually read it. Yeah. Um, The the author of the book of Hebrews is unknown. um, And so no amount of insisting is going to change that. I mean, we do know it was Luke, but uh, no, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Right now, one of our listeners because I know him, I say, no, it's Paul. Paul. Yeah. Uh, But we don't know. Um, So who the primary recipients are, that is something that's debated as well. Uh, But it's also probably, if you're going to debate something, um, be one of the more important issues to make a stand upon. Uh, The author 
here does not overtly tell us who is in view in this book, but the content makes it rather obvious. Um, there is evidence that this was a, a treatise of some type, more than it was a letter written to Jewish believers. Some argue it was perhaps even a sermon. Um, it's filled with references to allusions to the Old Testament system. The whole foundation, in fact, uh, upon which chapter 6 is based, implies that these were Jews who had been part of the, uh, you know, the washings that you'll read about. Uh, the same with chapter 9, verse 15, where there's a discussion of the Old Covenant. And so the author makes a strong point that the Old Covenant is something that's passing away. But that would be a, a pointless discussion if his readers would not already be predisposed to want to still be living under it, which implies these are Jews. Yeah, only the Jews. You ask right. your average Gentile, hey, what do you think of the Old Covenant? And they would be like, what? Say what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's just nothing there. Or the washings of Levitical priesthood or, yeah. or any of that. All the things that he doesn't give any explanation to. It's just, it's all it's assumed. there. Yeah. And assumed. Um, it's because he knows the readers are Jews. And so... From there, we get into the purpose, and the purpose of the book is very important, and it's twofold. And these two points are woven together, and so they need to be remembered together as well. Now, the first and foremost one is the supremacy of Jesus over all things, especially all those things that are connected to the Old Covenant, so the priesthood, the sacrifice, all of that. Um, but the second one is very important as well. It is to exhort and to warn the people to not go back to the old ways, but remain faithful to the end in their faith toward Jesus. So, in other words, to say it in a simpler way, don't fall away is what he's saying. Christ is more than sufficient. In fact, he is superior. Yeah. So, if you can keep those two points in mind, uh, then we can now talk about uh, a unique point that's made in this book, and that's the warning passages. Now, the warning passages show up in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 10, and chapter 12. So, five of them. Uh, they're spread throughout the book, and so they keep falling like hammer blows on those who read them. It, you, know, you get past that first one, and you're like, okay, that wasn't so bad. You read right on some, bam, you hit again. Um, this gets into some very complex points of biblical theology, however, and it's why these passages end up troubling people so much, because they're not taught and grounded in sound theology, hence this podcast that we're doing. Uh, so it deals with the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It deals with anthropology or the doctrine of man, the nature of man's will, deals with the nature of saving faith the entire doctrine of salvation, frankly. It deals with Christology, the doctrine of Christ, and, and many, many more, but that's sufficient. And so, if you're going to talk about apostasy, there is no way to do it properly without dealing with these passages, and so we're going to. Uh, we hope that these will help you all to be all the more convinced of the utter sufficiency of Jesus to bring you safely into his presence, and also to stir you uh, to press on in in your walk of faith. Yeah, what, uh, and one point that needs to be made here is that uh, these passages are, frankly, they're dense with theology. Yeah, the whole book is dense. And it is. And so they, they can't just, as you were saying, just be vaguely referenced um, if you're going to understand them rightly, nor would it be right for us to just give a quick, simple statement about what the author is meaning. Um, and in fact, to do that would mean that we just want you to simply trust us that we did our work on the text. And 
you know, we say it all, we say, we say it all the time, far too many teachers do that. And it's not ultimately helpful to the health of the church. And so we're going to, we're going to do the hard work here in these passages, hopefully before you. And having said that, do understand though, that there's still so much more that could be drawn out from these texts than even what we're going to be able to do in these short episodes. And so if, if, if at all possible, we would say, listen to these when you have your Bible open. Uh, these are not commuting podcasts, which probably good we're doing this in the quarantine then. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> like, true. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, these are sitting in a straight back chair uh, while wide awake with coffee in hand, pencil in hand, paper before you uh, on a table kind of podcast. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, this is, it's going to be a dense one, but we're going to try and work through it and okay. make it clear. So with that in mind, let's deal with the scary passages. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, you have that first warning in this very important book, and it kind of prepares you for the harder ones, because this one's not too bad. But it, it, it reads this way, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Why? So that we do not drift away from it. Why? For if the word spoken through the angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, this whole thing is pre presupposing, again, that the reader even knows about how the old covenant worked. Um, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to to his own will. So in verse one, it starts out with that four, uh, which we, we teach our church that whenever you see the word four at the beginning of a verse, it almost always means for this reason. And so we, we try to train them into saying that in their mind for this reason, which then makes you want to go backwards. Uh, and it tells us then it's connected to what was just written in chapter one. Now, we're not going to go through a whole of chapter one, but we'll summarize it. And it would go something like this, that the son is the better revelation and is higher than even the angels. So with that in mind, then the point in verse one of chapter two is that if that is true, then we really ought to listen to him. We better listen to him. If he is better than any other revelation of God and he is higher than the angels, then we should listen to him. But why? And and in that verse one, we have that so that, and it tells us so that we don't drift away. So the idea is if we stop listening to our Lord, then we'll begin to drift. And from what they had just heard, uh, from, from what they just heard, which is, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is talked about in chapter one. And this is really a key principle that we see played out time and time again. Uh, we'll see people who make this very strong declaration of faith. We baptize some of them. Uh, their faith uh, or lives appear to be very unique and different. Uh, but ultimately, they don't keep the gospel and its promises central. And when that happens, they begin to drift because there's no such thing as coasting, right? Right. So, so why is it bad to drift away? Um you know, so this, we pick this up in verse two, God, you know, he didn't wink at the breaking of the law. Uh, ultimately, the whole of Israel's history proved that to be true. Um, yeah. <laughs> even, you know, even at the writing of this letter, they were still in captivity, technically, under God's judgment. And so the promise 
in the law was very clear. If it's, if it's you obey, you will be blessed, but if you disobey, you will be cursed. And so it's here that he makes an argument now from the lesser to the greater. Um, so he says, if, if angels who are lesser than the sun gave words that were unbreakable, then how much greater are the words of the sun? Right. Um, and so, you know, the angels, they mediated that old covenant, you know, from the speech of Stephan that the angels gave the law of Moses. So the son is, is the mediator though of the new covenant, um, something that the author is gonna remind them of later on in this, this letter. Um, so this was spoken first through the Lord and then those who had heard it then spoke it to the author of the Hebrews and then the author of the Hebrews uh, spoke it or wrote it now to his recipients. So the fact that the, apostles went forth with the message here and had the signs and wonders and miracles along with their message was then further attestation that God was validating his message. Um, and so here, why does he bring up miracles and such? Well, remember Moses confirmed uh, that he was from God and how did he do that? Well, through miracles. Right, miracles. So now when the apostles go out and they have these miracles, it's right. confirming their message as well. And, and of course, our Lord, um, yeah. he did his, and he's like, if you don't believe my words, <laughs> then what about the things I'm doing, right? right? Again, all of that testifying from whom they're sent. So here's the point. It's one thing to embrace or believe or hold, however you want to say that, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's another thing to remember it. The act of believing uh, is not a punctiliar act. But it's an ongoing act. In fact, we just talked about this in our uh, podcast on salvation. So I, I don't know if this will go before that one, but you'll hear that in greater detail. Uh, this is key when you understand the New Testament and salvation and faith. It, that's an ongoing act. And no, what we're not saying here is that you can lose your salvation. But we are saying that it means that to be truly saved is much more than merely saying that you believe and even looking like you believe. And so our question to you who listen is simple. Do you set your mind to hear the truth of the greatness of the gospel? And when hearing it, do you rest in what it is, what is said about it? Or are you in a state of drifting away because your heart is distracted by other things. The author of Hebrew would be warning you here if you are in that process of drifting, because at some point you'll drift fully away. Right. Uh, so let me read here uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Um, it says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned? 
whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So in this text, he is, he is picking up and quoting Psalm 95, which is actually a song of failure. <laughs> Turn to hymn 95 as we sing our failures before the Lord. <laughs> yeah. No one's writing those. They wouldn't sell today, I tell you. No. Uh, but yes, yeah, Psalm 95, it's an inspired psalm coming from the hymn book of Israel, and it's a song of Israel's failure in the Exodus. Um, and so it, it is referring to that, to the, the end of a 40 year wandering, uh, where they were, you know, witnessing the work of God for 40 years. We see that in verse nine here of chapter three, but then as a result, they don't enter the rest. Um, and the rest to which he's referring to is that promised land of Canaan, right. the, the land of rest, if you will. Um, and, and this is one of the many examples, by the way, of, of, of how we know that the original readers were likely Jewish. Uh, the writers he- assuming here that they know the story of the Exodus and wilderness wanderings. And so he assumes they know uh, Psalm 95, yeah. uh, which again, no Gentile at this time would have known. Yeah. No, no mention that, Hey, it, there's a Psalm. It's just, he starts quoting it and presumes, you know it. Yeah. Uh, so by choosing this portion though, of Psalm 95, the writer is emphasizing that rebelliousness of the situation. The rebellion, in other words, of Israel in the wilderness is perhaps the most powerful example in the Bible of sinful hearts that you will ever see in the Old Testament. Think about the ways, just think about the ways God showed Israel grace in the Exodus. I mean, uh, and this is in no particular order. He, he heard their cries of in captivity. He kept them safe in the plagues. Uh, he warned them of the angel of death. He plundered the Egyptians. He sent, obviously, Moses. He split the Red Sea. He brought manna from heaven. He brought water, for, water from a rock. And we could just go on and on and on. He, the clothes didn't wear out. I mean, it's all there. Um, but what's important is that they forgot some of the most very important things. They forgot and failed to remember that the goodness of God the power of God to save them. And so to use the idea of chapter two uh, that we just talked about, they drifted away from the truth of God's saving grace. Yeah. And uh, just listen again to verse 10 here. Uh, He says, therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. And so so notice where their sin began. It was in their heart. Uh, it also says that they did not know the ways of God, um, though obviously God had revealed them to them over and over again. He and, gave them the law <laughs> <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah, they they so, all said, we will keep all of these things. <laughs> right. Um, and, and they just forgot. They yeah. forgot those things, even though it was clearly given to them. And so what can we learn from that? Well, there are different levels of knowing God. There's different levels of knowing his ways. Uh, we've talked about this before, but there's that, that intellectual ascent to where you understand what has been said, but the scriptures are clear and certainly Israel's an illustration that that is not enough. Right. That's not sufficient. Um, you know, seeing, experiencing, even receiving the works of God in your life is not evidence that you truly know him. Uh, remember again, verse nine, for 40 years, 40 years, 
they they were seeing his works every single day uh, as food is showering them from heaven. Yep. Right. And yet unbelief. And so then you go into verse 11 and we see the word of judgment. He says, they shall not enter my rest. Uh, this is not merely a reference to entering the promised land, um, because chapter four lets us know that there are other aspects, again, keyword there, aspects to the rest as well. Uh, the greatest, of course, is being entering into the eternal kingdom of God, which is what many people would just call heaven. Uh, we wouldn't, but people do. So verses 12 through 19 uh, having said, you shall not enter my rest, he now brings a word of warning to the readers of this letter. Now he, having borrowed from there, he brings it to the readers in the New Testament. And he also therefore brings it to us. The concern he has is that we're not diligent with our faith and the faith of others. That's important. And the faith of others. And the result is people apostatize. Uh, that little phrase, take care. It tells us that history is not static. This is a lesson that can be easily repeated by any one of us if we do not heed the warning. In fact, what is his immediate concern? It's that evil or unbelieving heart. He says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So how is it manifested? Well, he just said, in the falling away from the living God. That is apostasy. In other words, they are people who have professed faith and allegiance to God, just like Israel did, and then they reject him, just like Israel did. And they look like part of the redeemed, but the heart is actually an evil heart, he says. And that's the whole idea of what apostasy is. It's this turning away from the living God to some sort of false or dead idol. And it doesn't matter what the idol is, right? I, I, it's it's the fact that it's replacing the living God that's the issue. Right. And then in, in verse 13, uh, he gives us hope by way of exhortation. He says, encourage one another um, and, and how we'll constantly and always and ever, by the way, um, Encouragement here is the means that people are going to persevere. And so encouragement is something far more than just giving a nice word to someone to give them an emotional sense of comfort. Um, it's, it's more than a Facebook like. Yeah, it's, I mean, a parakaleo, it's come alongside and cry out, exhort sometimes. So sometimes encouragement is strong words. Um, but he says, encourage one another constantly and always. And why? Um, well, Again, here, perseverance, there is that corporate responsibility that we have toward one another. Uh, the, the assumption then is that without that mutual accountability and encouragement, hearts are going to be hardened and people are going to apostatize. In fact, in this time of quarantine, in America at least, where our governor said, safe at home, and you can't gather more than 10 people, blah, 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 and all the others. I'm, I'm actually, it's heavy on my mind as to when the church finally is able to gather again, who will be there? Um, you know, knowing the hearts and knowing that we are prone to wander, you know, are, are people guarding their hearts or are they allowing this time away from one another to find themselves wandering their way? It's, it's for me, a little nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, and then notice how often is this encouraging supposed to occur? Well, he says day after day. 
Um, in other words, the assumption again is that this is something that on, on this side of heaven, we can never be safe from, that is apostatizing. Um, you need to encourage one another day after day after day after day. Yeah. It's a continual practice. And again, how long is that to occur? Well, notice he uses this term or this word of today, as long as it's still called today. So what does he mean by today? Um, well, in the days of Moses, today was 40 years uh, in the context there. So put that, put this in our context now, what would be the end of today? Um, well, not until that eternal rest of the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. In other words, the rest of your life. Yes. Essentially. Which actually has a real parenting quality to it, right? I mean, how many parents, um, I know it was true of my life. You, when I came to faith, the instructions sort of stopped. I was saved. You know, that sure. punctiliar thing. I'm, I'm in heaven now and you can't lose your salvation. So you're good. And so you don't have that constant exhortation to faithfulness. And I think many parents with younger children who are now making that profession, they ought to remember as often as it is still today, keep exhorting your children under faithfulness and send them out of their, out of the home. Having seen that and experienced that would be very good. Now, he also gets in uh, here in verses 14 and 15 as to who is a partaker of Christ. Um, and it's interesting because it's a term that is almost only used in Hebrews. A partaker of Jesus is not merely a person who claims it, but who remains with Christ to the end. And so if we can get that in our mind, then the ne next episode, when we look at the really, really scary passages of chapter 6 and 10, things will make a lot more sense. So being partaker is one who doesn't just claim Christ, but remains with Christ. Yeah. Um, and let me just add a quick comment to what we were saying before, too, about this idea of encouraging. Um, the the emphasis in the passage is on the, it's, it's an active verb. Uh, so you are to encourage, not just be the recipient of encouragement. Oh my, And yes. so I would actually argue that one of the means through which you persevere is by you encouraging others, not merely being encouraged. Well, you would see that. W would you not agree with me that some of the most clearest times of help and instruction is because you preached? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Who, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day. Um, they, they were a person, they were just telling me how just they, they feel their heart grow cold and then they, they sit under the word once again and it's, they're just refreshed. And I said, uh, the way that works out for me is that I'm, I'm literally forced every day to have to sit down and write something. And if I didn't yeah. get to do that, I'm just the kind of person who would grow cold so fast. And yeah. so I think one of God's kindnesses to me is putting me in this kind of position where I have to. <laughs> I didn't know that was true of you because that's very true of me. I would be the worst church member. I'd probably be disciplined out of a church. I mean, it's the knowing that I have to preach and teach and disciple and train that you're always in the word. And then you also are telling people things and exhorting them. Yeah. And in your mind, you're like, you need to go home and seek your wife's forgiveness. Or oh, that's the hardest part that people don't know about. Yeah. It's like you, you have your own sin to deal with. You got your own stuff going on and you need to be able to stand up with a pure heart and not be a hypocrite in the pulpit. Yeah. And it's a challenge. Um, but that's the blessing. So yes. you are at, what we're saying to you is one of the best things you can do is take on the active 
task of encouraging others, and you'll find it will bless you as well and strengthen you, right? Yes. Uh, then in verses 16 through 19, we have some final warnings given to take heed uh, of the Israelites in Exodus. Notice he asks, and who were the ones who heard but provoked God? And then, of course, he gives the answer, well, the ones who left Egypt by Moses. And by the way, the ter the terminology used there is that they were saved. They were delivered out of yes. Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good observation. Um, and <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and you can see what he just did. Uh, so <laughs> and, it, but, but what's the connection between uh, those people and us? Well, remember what verses one through six was teaching, namely that Jesus is greater right. than Moses. Um, and so the point is that, that, we leave with Jesus, who's our deliverer and savior. But the question is, will we stay with him as we now travel through the wilderness? Yeah, so you're kind of a spiritualizing there, yeah. but it's the idea that our exodus was when we made a profession of faith. And now we're in that wilderness because we have not yet entered the rest, which is eternity. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so think about you know the rest that Adam and Eve lost was fellowship with God in Eden. Right. Uh, the rest that Israel lost was the promised land. And so the implication here is that the rest that the professing Christian will lose and professing Christian is key. Yeah. Um, they're professing. Um, what they will lose is the new heavens and the new earth, that final promised land of rest. So again, the loss of rest here is due to two things. Uh, what are they? Well, one disobedience and then second, unbelief, very similar to the words in John three thirty six, where he says, he who believes in the son of God has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And there's that nice parallel there where yes. uh, belief and obedience are almost one and the same. Yeah, it's, it is. It's synonymous. Uh, blah, blah. My <laughs> lips aren't working. You say the word. Synonymous. Thank you, parallelism. sir. Uh, parallelism. So, right. Um, all right. So, let's bring this one to a close. Um, we're going to deal, as he just said, with the two passages in Hebrews, uh, chapter 6 and 10. And they're probably the ones that, as a pastor, we get the most questions about, uh, just as people are reading their Bible and they're like, pastor, and they got this scared look on their face. Um, what stands out to us, though, uh, in the study so far is the way the Bible describes a believer in different ways regarding his standing before the Lord. Uh, so when you read the Bible in some passages, you have this absolute certainty of salvation. So uh, a favorite would be Romans 8, 29 to 30, where we have all of these aorists, and, and we're told that from the from the point of being foreknown all the way to being glorified, there's this entire unbroken chain of salvation. And so, as a result, Paul can say, nothing, therefore, can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And we love, we love that, that, and we ought to. But in that very same chapter earlier, he says this, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, which is, woo, this is neat. And then he adds the word if. Actually, if indeed is the word. Uh, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So he says, we are children of God and therefore heirs of God with our Lord. 
which is, again, good stuff. But all of it is due to the Spirit of God in the prior verse, in verse 16, testifying to our spirit that we're truly children of God. But by adding that word, if indeed, a pair, uh, it, it comes into into uh, this uh, this whole perseverance idea comes into view is yeah. what I mean to say. Uh, we will suffer with Christ, but will we? Will we persevere with him? If we do, he says, then we will glorify, which is that ultimate yeah. salvation, right? Uh, and by clear implication, then, if we will not suffer with him, then we won't be glorified. Right, right. Yeah, so, so apostasy, uh, we would also say here in conclusion, is that time when a person in full knowledge and acceptance of the gospel looks at the promises of God in the person of Jesus Christ and says no more. Uh, just no, yep. we're done. And, and they do not persevere at that point. And so up until that point, they, and I mean, and possibly everybody else uh, thought that they were a child of God. Um, they were giving all the evidences of it. They were called justified. They were called, uh, called and justified and also glorified those terms we see there in Romans eight. Um, but now having fallen away, it's obvious that they're not. They've, they've turned back upon the gospel um, and now they've just gone their own way. And and so what happened? What happened there? Well, from what we've learned in this passage so far, what they didn't do is play, pay close attention to what they had heard. They allowed their hearts to drift away. They neglected their claims of salvation until there's this moment that just something clicked and now they've just turned away to something else. Um, or to put that a slightly different way, they hardened their hearts. Um, something or perhaps someone came into their life and it now became their true love. It became their God. And so they stopped hearing the encouragement of the people of God through things like baptism, uh, the Lord's Supper, through song, through the preaching of the word. And so they presumed all was well until one day nothing is well. And it, it, that's actually so heartbreaking, though, because that is what apostasy is. And it, it just breaks anyone's heart, whoever has watched it. Uh, foolish speech will brush it away and say, well, it's obvious, Pastor, that they were never really saved. That's what I get all the time. And I, it's like, true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, well done. You, you stated the obvious, but it really actually reflects this coldness in it. And I would even argue it reveals a mind that appears to assume that they themselves will never do that, and which is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying don't think that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. think that you won't fall. Um, the author of Hebrews would warn that person to watch over himself as well, so that an evil and unbelieving heart is not something lurking within even himself. And so we would say to you, let us just simply encourage you to watch over your own soul all the more in these evil days. Don't assume that because you can point to events or moments in the past where God worked great things in your life, that therefore everything's fine. I mean, Israel could claim that, and they all died in the wilderness in unbelief. Um, instead, see yourself rightly. More importantly, see the goodness of God and his mercy as your only hope through Jesus Christ. Uh, would you call someone, in fact, today that you know and maybe just inquire with them, how is their soul? Do it gently. Don't do it, hey, uh, you know, I'm thinking you might be an apostate. <laughs> yeah, that'd be real swell. I mean, out of a genuine love, just maybe call someone. Would you give them a good word that's related to the gospel that you might all the more spur them? 
forward. And don't stop doing this until you are safe in the presence of God himself. So this is this is a very sobering topic. We know that. And uh, in fact, one that is very personal to the, the both of us is we have watched people walk away from the faith. And so next time we're going to look at those that, that Hebrews 6 passage and also Hebrews 10 and break them down to see why they're so scary. Um, but we're also going to try and remind you how to make them not frighten you um, so much and instead actually now learn to use them to push you onward in your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is exactly what they're supposed to do. Yeah, that's why God gave them, right? So until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation, let us know what you think and what you're learning about apostasy. Uh, We do love it when we get comments and questions, so don't be shy to do so. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Matt's giving me a heart symbol. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. (music) 